You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, we don't just have a single or double threat in today's show. We've got the producer of a triple threat, and he does it Monday through Friday on Sports Radio 610. We're about to get Brian McDonald's thoughts on the Texans offseason and perhaps an early prediction. Hello, everybody. I'm Robert Land from the Houston Sports Talk Podcast. My co-host, Brian Patterson, with the day off. Welcome to Locked On Texans, your best daily source of Texans news, views, and interviews we're part of the FanRag Sports Network. Welcome aboard if you're joining us for the first time. And joining me on the show is a guy who makes Rich Lord, Sean Pendergast, and Ted Johnson look good every day on Sports Radio 610. We welcome back the producer of the Triple Threat, Brian McDonald. And Brian, I know you, you got to get goosebumps a little bit. It's organized team activities. Then that phrase just gets you all excited. <laughs> yeah, excitement does not do it justice, Robert. Yes, yeah, always glad to be on. And the work of keep making those guys look good, as you know, is yeoman's work. But I am glad to do it. Yeah, it's a full time job. I know it. Job. And I want to ask you about this uh, off season and especially what Brian Gain has done. How do you think he's constructed this team? Do you like what he's done? Because if I remember correctly, we haven't spoken since free agency, and we definitely haven't spoken since the draft. So what do you think of what he's done over the offseason? With everything, I don't, I don't mean to straddle the fence here, but I think there's been some hits and hit misses. I, I can't remember if I said this to you the last time I was on. Uh, I believe I did, but just in case I hadn't, it might be an entirely new audience since then. But I, I, I always thought going into the offseason that even though offensive tackle is the is the more talked about position, the higher profile position, the position that's paid more, given more attention and all that. I always thought offensive guard was their bigger need, not only because the guys they had there last year were just disasters with Xavier Suofilo and Jeff Allen and whoever filled in when those guys weren't in. But I also think you have to look at who you have at quarterback because when, you're, when, you're, when an opponent is facing a guy like Deshaun Watson, they're not able to rush up the field like they would a more a more statue quarterback like Tom Savage when he was in last year. And so because of that, because they can't rush past him and open up lanes for Watson to run with and beat them with his legs, they're not able to rush the passer in the same way. But if they get pass rush right up the gut, then Watson can't do any the most mobile quarterback in the league. You know, Lamar Jackson at his height of his powers at Louisville. Deshaun Watson in the NFL, no matter who it is, if they get a rush right up the gut and you know, you've got somebody in your lap right as you're taking your first step back, then it doesn't matter. So I thought improving the offensive guard position uh, was more important than the offensive tackle. Not that offensive tackle wasn't important, but I thought it was more important, and I like the signings they've had. Uh, the guy, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Kelamete from New Orleans. And, uh, and Fulton from Kansas City. So I, I like that they prioritize that. On the other side of that, you know, I would have liked to see more additions um, at cornerback other than Aaron Colvin. I like that. I just don't like going into the season with Jonathan Joseph probably being your second corner. I mean, well, I guess Kevin Johnson, Aaron Colvin. It's kind of a weird situation. I'm interested to see what you think about it because Aaron Col- Colvin, his whole time in Jacksonville was mostly – a slot corner, right? And you have this this problem where Jonathan Joseph is a billion, billion years old. Kevin Johnson can't stay healthy and had a down season when he was healthy last year. So 
do you want those guys on this outside, or do you want a guy, the guy you spent money with with Colvin on the outside? But his experience is really with the slot. And similarly with Kareem Jackson, I think he is, as his speed has slowed, and he was never an elite speed corner, I think his best position is slot corner. So you have kind of two guys whose best position is the outside or the inside, but you might need him to play inside because, or outside, that is, because of, uh, of what you have with Jonathan Joseph and and Kevin Johnson. So it's a, it's a weird dynamic. Uh, I know that I, I probably said inside and outside and talked around in circles there, but I do, I do come in bringing back to the positive. I do like the versatility that they have now with the safety position, which Robert, you and I have followed this team and watched them since they started in 2002. When have they ever had more talent at safety than they do right now with Justin Reed and Tyron Matthews? So I, I am very excited about that. Uh, like I said, I'm excited that they added players to plug and play at offensive guard. I'm excited that they drafted a true slot receiver. Again, something that they haven't done much of at all in their entire history. Uh, Kiki Kuti was extremely productive at Texas Tech. Very prototypical for what they should ask him to do as a slot receiver. And I guess the only other thought is I, I, want, I would have liked to seen them pay a little more attention instead of maybe drafting, what, three tight ends? I would have liked to see them pay a little more attention to the running back depth because, you know, Lamar Miller, he's had a lot of carries over the last couple of years. He's not a young running back anymore. Deontay Foreman coming off the Achilles injury. Um, I like both guys. I think both guys at their best are, are, are very uh, high-end contributors, but I would have liked to see more attention paid uh, to the depth at that position. We were talking about this on the last show. Just want to get your take on it because you mentioned Kiki Cutie, and I, I think – uh, he's got a decent shot to start the first game of the season for the Texans, but I, I still think the leader in the clubhouse and it's going to be tough to overtake is Bruce Ellington and, and maybe even Braxton Miller. I mean, we know Bill O'Brien doesn't like to go with, you know, a veteran, a young guy over a veteran guy. So w- what's your thought? Do you think Kiki Cutie can, can actually begin the season as the starting slot receiver? Yeah, I think he can. I think you're right that they're going to make him earn it. Um, hell, we saw that even last year with Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson. Look, I know I've been on the other side of Deshaun Watson and so far I've been very wrong. But you're, you're correct in that O'Brien wants to make a rookie earn it. I don't think that he likes the idea, not that he hasn't done it before, but I don't think he likes the, the idea of just handing the rookie uh, the job right away. And so you saw that with Tom Savage going as far as even starting game one against Jacksonville until you know it became completely obvious that he was overwhelmed. So... I think you're right. I think Ellington will start, you know, training camp and these off-season practices and mini camps as a starter. But I think Kiki Kuti, as long as he doesn't trip over his own feet, has the ability and uh, the upside to take that position very quickly. I think the guy, you know, you always talk to we we talk to David Anderson every week um, on the Triple Threat. Great interview, former Texans receiver. And one of the things we asked him a couple of weeks ago was, you know, how much would you pay attention to the draft while you're in the league? And he said, you know, as a veteran, they only really paid attention when they would draft guys at their position. And so I think the only guy that really the ears and kind of the ears need to go up, the focus needs to come in for is Braxton Miller, because whether it's it's newness at the position, whether it's been the injury problems with Braxton Miller, whether he's just not good enough, regardless of why. He's not got it done since they drafted him to be uh, to be their slot receiver. And I think without a great camp, not only could he not be starting, but he might be off the roster as a cut. 
I want to get your thoughts on maybe the hardest puzzle to figure out the offensive line in just a bit. But before I do, just a quick reminder to everybody listening, if you're enjoying Locked On Texans, maybe for the first time, do us a favor. Tell your friends. Let them know they can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Megaphone, Podchaser, TuneIn, Spotify, tons of different ways uh, so you can listen on a regular basis. And if you'd like to check out more Locked On content in our network, we got that brand new LockedOnSports.com website. So go check that out. It's LockedOnSports.com. Well, Brian, I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do on the offensive line. I don't know about you. I feel like it's going to be Davenport and Zach Fulton on the left side with Nick Martin at center. Tell me who's going to play right tackle and who's going to play right guard. Who would be your guess if you just going into camp as to how this is going to play itself out? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> how, what's your What's your reach? Um, yeah, I I don't I don't know. Uh, that's the best answer I could give you. I think you're right. As as nervous as I am about it, I think Julian Davenport is going to be your starter at left tackle. Uh, they've fallen in love with his arm length, uh, with his size, and there is certain advantages of that. Of you know, it starts with your hands and you know being able to keep defenders off your body. And I think defenders are going to have to pass rushers are going to have to go wide because they can't get in on his body. So there is certain. I think advantages to that, um, you know, you, you listen to the, the, the Texans run media and they're very impressed by Davenport. They keep going back to the games last year that he played late in the season, like against the Steelers, for example, and pointing to that as a reason why he could do it. But, you know, I've heard this song and dance before by a lot of other players and they've fallen flat on their face. And I don't know, a fourth round pick out of Bucknell with, little to no starting experience. I don't know if I'm comfortable with handing him the job of protecting one of the top five most important athletes in the city, if not the most important athlete in the city. So yeah, I I, I don't like that idea, but um, you know, it is what it is. And I I guess I'll go with it. I think your, your, your interior starting lineman in some order, as you mentioned, are Nick Martin, Fulton and Calamete, um, how they split them up. I'm not sure in right tackle. Yeah. I think, I think there'll be a f- looking at profiles on LinkedIn. I'm not sure at this point. Okay. I- I'll give you, I'll try to give you sort of where I'm coming from on, on that. I think it's going to be Chantrell Henderson is the guy that they would like to win the right yeah, tackle spot. Another guy as big as a brick house, but you know, he's had his own issues with staying healthy and, uh, with other performance related performance enhancing related issues. Yeah, I don't know about enhancing because it's, you know, from what I understand, it's the marijuana thing. And he was dealing with, you know, the Crohn's disease. He had his intestines removed. And, you know, that's something that, yeah, I can't imagine having gone through that as an NFL player. No, I'm not not saying that as a criticism of him. But if it causes him to miss time, it causes him to miss time. Right. And I think um, they're going to initially want him. But I think if if he falls flat, then Rankin or Calamente steps in. I feel like they want the two veterans, Calamete and maybe uh, Chantrell Henderson on the right side, but they would love to see Martinez Rankin wrestle one of those positions away from him because he probably has more talent than those two guys would be. My no, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, you're right. I, I think you're exactly right. I think they're going to start off with Henderson at right tackle. Again, the veteran, as we've talked about before with other positions and not wanting to hand a rookie a job. But Rankin, I mean, he was a how-many-year starter at Mississippi State. He was all-conference. And that was at left tackle, if, if, I'm not, if I'm correct. So I think you start slow. 
you piece them in. Maybe they do. I don't know if you remember when they first drafted Dwayne Brown, they did a split, and I'm blanking on the name they split them with, but Brown would play two series, and then a veteran would come in and play the third. And they would go. They did that. I can't remember how long through his rookie year, but they didn't bring him in and give him every snap right away rookie season. So I think you could see something similar with Rankin where they kind of work him in, give him a look, but also give him a rest and, and don't want to put too much on his plate too soon. But look, if the guy's all conference at left tackle in the SEC, I would definitely be willing to give him a look at right tackle. Ephraim Salam, is that the guy you're thinking of? Yes, yes, Ephraim Salam. Yeah, that was it. There's a blast from the past. <laughs> yeah, let me let me take a look at what's going on at tight end because uh, they, they drafted a couple of guys like you mentioned, the Jordans. I call them the Jordans, Jordan Akins, Jordan Thomas. And then you've got Ryan Griffin coming back, Steven Anderson that's going to be fighting for a roster spot would be my guess. But when you look, Brian, at Jordan Akins, what did you like from what you saw film-wise, what you read about him, and do you feel like he's going to be the odds-on favorite to win that spot, or does he still have to beat out Ryan Griffin and you know all the concussion history with Ryan Griffin as well? I think he has to beat out Ryan Griffin. Uh, my chief concern, and it seems like, it, it, I don't know, it's weird. When, when you hear O'Brien talk, they always, he always talks about wanting to be tough, wanting, wanting to run the ball, establish that, that, type, that part of the game. But then you look at a lot of the tight ends he has, and obviously he had Fedorowicz, who unfortunately had to retire because of the concussion problems. But you look at the other tight ends he's brought in, Steven Anderson, uh, the, this kid Jordan Akins that they just drafted. And you've got guys who, to me, are more oversized wide receivers than they are tight ends. You know, can Aikens catch the ball? Can he be a part of the passing game for sure? Um, obviously, he didn't have a t- he didn't he didn't have huge numbers while in college, but you know that that can obviously be dictated by the scheme and the quarterback he has with him. So you don't want to always pay a lot of attention to that part. But just looking at the size of him, you know, I, I guess my first question is: Can he block? Can Steven Anderson block? I think we already know the answer there. He cannot block. So you've got a lot of guys on the team that if Ryan Griffin has to miss time, you've got a basically a lot of tall, a little bit thicker wide receivers more than you have tight ends. So it'll be interesting to see. I guess it'll depend on how they use them. If they're, if they're using them just to kind of do a little chip lock and then get out in the pattern, then Aikens can get the job done. But if they want to go, you know, eye formation at some point and actually have him, you know, ho- trying to hold the edge for, for, a run, for a running play, then I don't know if he's, he's the guy to get that job done. So I'm a little concerned there. I wouldn't mind them seeing, seeing them bring in a veteran to bring up the tight ends on the roster to 12 or whatever it is. But, uh, yeah, I, I am a little concerned that they've got too many guys who are more extra wide receivers than they are in-line blockers in the true sense of the tight end position. Okay, next up, I, I want to get your thoughts on the on the backup quarterback situation, and uh, that's a... <laughs> uh, uh, well, let me ask you, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I, 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 I'm going to ask you, I want to tease this to just a second. I just want to remind everybody real quick to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, email us at LockedOnTexans at Mail.com. If you forget any of that, just go to the show description of each podcast. And if you're a fan of Locked On Texans, you can either email us a question or record a message, perhaps. Just use the voice memo on your phone. Great way to do it. Email, again, LockedOnTexans at mail.com, and we'll definitely use it in the show. And So, Brian, this is what my thinking is on the, on the backup quarterback deal. I mean, is Brandon Whedon as bad as everybody makes him out to be, first of all? And second of all, who would you have signed if you were the Texans? 
the answer to your first question, I think, is no. Um, he's not. I think he. It's not that he's as bad as people are are saying. I think people were just disappointed, and they take that out on Brandon Whedon. I think people wanted. You know, one of the popular refrains that I kept hearing um, leading up to the start of free agency and during free agency and even into the draft was was that, was that people wanted to bring in a quarterback, a backup quarterback with similar athletic traits and abilities to Deshaun Watson. That way, if Watson were to get hurt again, that they could run, keep running a similar offense. And while I don't disagree with that in principle, the idea behind it, I think people seem to think, okay, we'll just grab another runner and you could keep running the Deshaun Watson offense. It's not that simple. Deshaun Watson wasn't successful just because, oh, he's an athletic quarterback who can run. He was an athletic quarterback who can run, yes, but he also made yeah, he also was a great passer of the ball. He he th- threw with much better anticipation than I originally thought. He had much better zip on the ball, and he was much more ahead in the passing game overall than I anticipated. Than and then also of a lot of quarterbacks that came out in this year's draft. Um, so I think it wasn't as easy as oh, just go out and get an athletic quarterback. Okay, he, could he could that backup run? Sure. Could he make the same? Or do the same job in the passing game, not any, not any, not anywhere close. So I didn't see that athletic quarterback available to be able to get it. Would I've liked Tyrod Taylor for sure, but you know he went to Cleveland, and I, I don't think Tyrod Taylor would have accepted a backup job. Maybe in a couple years uh, when he's a little bit older and has less options, but I, I don't, I don't think. I don't think I don't think Tyrod Taylor is ever going to be accepting of that role as a backup here. So. Yeah, no, there wasn't a lot of good options. Um, I mean, obviously the talk will always turn to Colin Kaepernick until he's signed to a roster. Um, Certainly he was better than Brandon Whedon. Even at his worst, he was better than Brandon Whedon, and he fits the the athletic traits of the the type of backup quarterback that a lot of people wanted. But look, we all know there are issues there that neither you nor I nor anyone else not named Bob McNair can fix and address. So... I, I was I was satisfied with the backup quarterback in that there wasn't an athletic quarterback available that I thought they could reasonably get that was anywhere near the level that they would need him to be, and that Brandon Whedon knows the system, has won in this system, and I feel comfortable with him. And third of all, like we say a lot of times with backup quarterbacks, if Deshaun Watson goes hurt, gets hurt and goes out, does it matter if it's Brandon Whedon or somebody else? They're going to suffer a drop-off anyway. So I think the expectations of having a backup quarterback there that can basically pick up where Deshaun Watson left off with no drop-off was a bit unrealistic. Brian, the whole year we kept saying on our show, what's going on with the defense as far as uh, scheme-wise? It looked like guys were more out of place than they were the previous few years under Romeo you're around Ted Johnson. He knows exactly what's going on with Romeo, with that defense, what it's supposed to look like. I mean, was was Mike Vrabel calling bad plays? Was there a difference between what Mike Vrabel was doing and what Romeo was doing? Or was it just the difference of you didn't have Boyer, you lost Whitney Merciless for most of the season, and those were the, the two major guys that you didn't have the previous year. That That, that was a top t- 10, top five defense the previous season. Yeah, I think it's a little both. I think it's you're missing guys. You're missing Watt. You're missing Merciless. You're missing Bouye. You're missing a lot of key contributors uh, to that defense that had them number one 
in yards allowed the prior year. But I think Ted would tell you they didn't seem to one of the I think one of the key um, positives or the things that Romeo always did was be able to game plan and keep things kind of I don't know. It, it Vrabel almost seemed to come from more of a Wade Phillips school where, okay, this is what we're going to do. And can you stop it? You know, I like when Wade Phillips here, he was going to play man. He was going to blitz. Can you, can you adjust and can you stop it? And it maybe Vrabel's hand was forced because he lost all those people and he just had to keep things more simple, but you didn't see, I don't, I don't, I didn't think you saw the complex blitzes that you would normally see from a Romeo defense. You didn't see the disguising, uh, the rotating coverages. It was very basic. There was just a lot of soft zone, you know, kind of ma- soft zone with man up principles, and that's really all you got. So I think with a healthy roster, with more pieces, like we've said, or like I said earlier, with Justin Reed and Tyra Matthew, who can come up, who can play in the slot, who can uh, act as a pass rusher at times. So I think with Watt and Merciless back, with more versatile pieces, and with Romeo, the more experienced. Not, I'm not going to bash Vrabel, but obviously Romeo has the longer, the, the more experience, the longer track record and the Super Bowl pedigree. So I think with Romeo back, more versatile pieces and a healthier roster, no knock on wood with J.J. Watt especially, yeah, I think you're going to see a return to, I would say, at least a top 10 defense, maybe not number one overall. And again, that was in yards, not points, not turnovers, not sacks, but you're going to see a defense that returns more to what we saw in 2016 and 2017. Now I want to get your prediction. And I know when the schedule came out, you came out with sort of a formula and you figured out maybe what the prediction for the Texans for the season is. And I think what really helps when you look at the Texan situation as a from fan perspective is they, they didn't really lose anybody of any major consequence. And then you add Ty Matthew, whatever you think of Aaron Coleman, he's way better than uh, Kareem Jackson is at the other cornerback. Uh, you, you've added some other pieces, po- possibly if Kiki Cutie or Jordan Aikens can help you on the offensive side. Your offensive line, we assume, can't get worse than it was. Deshaun Watson's probably going to play the whole season as opposed to last year. So a lot of good stuff when you look at it and not a lot of bad stuff when you look compared to last year. So looking at all that, what's your prediction? Did it change any? Do you get any different feel after the draft or are you pretty much sticking with what you got? No, I'm sticking with what I got. And what I had in that article that you mentioned, uh, which you can find at sportsradio610.com, was 10-6. and six. I think a couple of things line up nice for the Texans. You uh, you get the Patriots in week one, which one of the things I looked back on when, when, when doing these uh, predictions was that the Patriots, and look, the Patriots, no matter what part of the schedule you're looking at, are going to have an impressive record. But over the last four years, the Patriots had an 11-5 and record over their first four games, which is a 688 winning percentage, which is really damn good. But when you look at the rest of their schedule, the remaining 12 games each of the last four years, the record goes up to 40-8, and uh, which is a winning percentage of 833. So they go from a good team you know, the first four weeks to the unbeatable juggernaut that we've known as being in every Super Bowl from the last, you know, two decades. So I think it's a big deal to get the Patriots in week one. And I also think it's a big deal when you look at the record or the schedule that you get all of your division row games out of the way early. So I, I, I like that. I like that lineup. I like to get those out of the way a little bit early. It seems like we've always had those tough division row games later in the season recently. So I think that lines up well. 
I mean, there are some roadblocks. Um, I mean, going to Denver, even though their roster uh, isn't what it was when they won the Super Bowl, is never easy. Um, going to Philadelphia, though, you know, that game is week, I think, week 16. So maybe hopefully Philadelphia has everything wrapped up and they're not playing um, their full allotment of, of starters. But that could be tough. If Philadelphia is playing their full allotment, so you're, you're at Philadelphia that, that week, week 16, the week before, this is not a world beater by any means, but you're at the Jets. So you're talking about back-to-back East Coast road trips uh, there towards the end of the season. So that could be a tricky place where maybe you're looking ahead to the Philadelphia. Maybe it's the weather in New York that Deshaun's not used to. Maybe the, the Jets still a game that they shouldn't win and the, te- the Texans would be favored in. But I, I, I still think that the Texans are going to be the favorite in most of their games, most being at least nine, and they that they finished the season with 10 and six. Yeah, according to Vegas, uh, the last I saw, they were favored in nine games. They were There was a pick them in two. They weren't favored in four, and then the last Jags game, there's no line on it yet. But it was interesting to me, the four games they weren't favored, you know, there was obvious ones like the Patriots, the first Jaguars game, uh, Eagles, those kind of stuff. But the Jets... Brian, they're not favored against the Jets? What? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think that might be, you know, look, they always, Vegas, you have to take sometimes Vegas lines with a grain of salt. Not that they're not trying to nail it, but they also have to set a line with a way that entices betting on both sides, ideally. That way they're winning no matter what. So the Jets, a very public team, it's New York. Maybe they're hoping to set a line that entices people in and gets betting on one side. But yeah, that was a little surprising to see the Jets as the favorite. All right, what do you got as far as uh, what's coming up on the triple threat in the next week or so? And give us the times of the triple threat. Just remind people for those that aren't listening every day. And then also your Heel Turn podcast. Tell people about the Heel Turn podcast and your Heel Turn show on 610. Yes, thank you. Uh, Depending on when you're listening to this, this could either be today, tomorrow, or maybe it was yesterday. But we're going to have on the triple threat, which again, two to six, Monday through Friday on Sports Radio 610, Tuesday, we've got a good show coming up already. We have Brad Peacock, Astros reliever at 2.20. Just booked him on the show. And he'll be followed by David Anderson, I mentioned earlier, the former Texans wide receiver at 2.40. So good stuff on Tuesday. Brad Peacock at 2.20. David Anderson at 2.40 on the triple threat. And the Heel Turn podcast, my uh, wrestling podcast, covering all the best, worst, ridiculous, and all sorts of nonsense from the world of pro wrestling can be heard on SportsRadio610.com and iTunes, we uh, we record episodes every Wednesday. And then our next live show will be Sunday, June 17th, 10 p.m. to midnight, right after WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view. The Andre the Giant doc, I thought it was okay. You didn't, you didn't love it? It wasn't great. It wasn't great. It was okay. Uh, so were you a big fan of him as a kid? Did you follow it uh, when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah, I followed okay. it. Did you watch the Rick, the one on Ric Flair that ESPN did last year? Oh, great. That was fantastic. Okay. Oh. I was about to say, because I thought some of the best I, – I would agree, and I, this sounds like your your opinion, but correct me if I'm wrong. I would agree that the Ric Flair one was better. I think that's partly the subject matter and the subject matter still being alive because it's always nice to get that firsthand uh, commentary. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like the Andre the Giant one um, partly because it happened from a time – when you know i was a little bit younger so i didn't know some of the stories so i I found that interesting and but i will say and this goes back to the rick flair one being a little bit better that probably the more some of the most interesting parts were when rick flair was talking about andre the giant so yeah but i i enjoyed it yeah it was was interesting well 
Hey, thanks so much. I'm going to wrap it up really quickly for everybody listening. Don't forget that Brian McDonald uh, is that's uh, the Triple Threat Sports Radio 610. My partner, Brian Patterson, will be back, but he's you can find all of his work on HouseOfHouston.com, covering the Rockets, the Astros, and the Texans over there. My Houston Sports Talk podcast, easy to find on iTunes and our free app in the Google Play Store for you Android users. When you're done listening to today's Locked On Texans, take a few seconds, rate us on iTunes, let us know what you think or what you might suggest. We'll definitely take it to heart. That's all we got for this one. We'll be back with you tomorrow. As always, thanks for making us a part of your week. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, <laughs>